Good morning, afternoon, and evening listeners. Welcome back to the Air Force Judge Advocate General School podcast. I'm Major Laura Quacco. I'm Major Victoria Smith. And today we have a special episode for you on doctrine. Major Smith, can you tell us a little bit about what they're going to hear? Absolutely. So Major Quacco and I had the opportunity to interview Colonel Richard Major and Lieutenant Colonel Derek Rowe. During this interview, Colonel Major talked about the basics. What is doctrine? Why is it important to airmen who are not working in operational type career fields? Lieutenant Colonel Rowe talked about the interplay between legal professionals and doctrine development. He also spent some time talking about the practical application of doctrine in the operational and deployed environments. Major Quacco, anything I'm missing? One thing I just wanted to add for our listeners, so y'all are going to hear our uh, interviewees talk about Chief Brown or General Brown, and for those of you who don't know, they're talking about Chief of Staff of the Air Force, General Charles Q. Brown Jr. So he's the highest ranking officer in the United States Air Force, and then also by his position as Chief of Staff, he's one of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and thereby serves as an advisor to the President, National Security Council, and the Secretary of Defense. So General Brown, he has actually written his perspective into the beginning of Air Force Doctrine publication, AFDP-1. And I would like to read a snippet of what he says. He says, Doctrine is an opportunity to educate, empower, and prepare for the future fight. He goes on to say, I'm relying on every airman to understand the lessons of doctrine and then draw on them to innovate and incorporate concepts and technologies that will develop new best practices to shape future doctrine. So this is a really important topic for our Air Force, for our military, and I'm just going to turn it over to the interview. Colonel Major and Lieutenant Colonel Rowe, thank you so much for joining us today to discuss doctrine. Before we get started, I'd like to have you both introduce yourselves, give a little bit of your military background. So, Colonel Major, over to you, sir. Hi. Well, uh, first off, thanks for having us here today. This is going to be a really great opportunity. I'm Colonel Richard Major. I'm currently the vice commander at the LeMay Center, uh, but I am a career intelligence officer. Uh, Throughout my career, I've got experience working at the unit level. I've worked in air operations centers as a targeteer. Um, I've been an intelligence squadron commander for the 36th Intel Squadron at Langley, doing uh, primarily targeting. Uh, most recently here at the LeMay Center, uh, I've worked in our intelligence directorate. And then uh, about a year ago, I served as the director for Air Force Doctrine Development in the LeMay Center. And then just this past June, I moved up to be the vice commander at LeMay. Great. Thank you, sir. And Lieutenant Colonel Rowe, over to you. Thank you. Um, so I am currently the staff judge advocate to the LeMay Center for Doctrine. It's just a one deep position. And I'll just mention a couple things in my career kind of relevant. Doctrine is mostly uh, about ops law. And uh, in 2019 to 2021, I was the SJ at the 379th Air Expeditionary Wing at All You Deed, where we had on our installation, of course, the Combined Air Operations Center, the 609th AOC. And so I served as an installation SGA, but I was involved in ops law, and it kind of prepared me for this assignment, uh, working in doctrine. Also in my career, I served for one year at the Joint Global Strike Operations Center uh, at Barksdale, which is also called the 608th Air Operations Center. It's the bomber AOC. So those two uh, assignments 
kind of got me familiar with uh, ops law, which is what uh, doctrine for JAGS is um, kind of centered on. Yes, sir. Thank you for that. So I think what today's plan is, is for all of us who don't know much about doctrine or even what doctrine is, we're going to do a little crash course, Doctrine 101. And then for the legal eagles out there or those who are interested in the law, we are going to focus a little bit more specifically on the legal aspect of doctrine. So Colonel Major, the big question, what is doctrine? That is the million dollar question. But um, in reality, you know, doctrine is something that we should all, as uniformed service members, understand um, and, and have an appreciation for. So fundamentally, what, what doctrine does is it provides us with a common frame of reference um, for our military on the, on the best way of, of going about doing our operations uh, and how we go about employing our forces based off of the best practices that we have learned over time. Um, we should view doctrine as a guide, uh, a guide to action on how we need to go about organizing our forces and um, conducting those operations because these are all things that have been put together over time that we have learned through various operations, exercises, experiments. And as such, it'll give us a common starting point to, uh, to build off of and, and deviate from if need be. Um, to get after whatever the situation or the operation is. And have we always had doctrine in the Air Force, or when did it come about? Yeah, I would submit that doctrine has been around ever since the world has uh, been involved in military <laughs> conflict or operations. Now, it may not have been written down on a piece of paper, per se, like we see it today or electronically as we see it today, but I know I, I, would, I would submit that uh, military forces have always shared information amongst themselves on, hey, this is how we did this, this is what we learned from it, and we think that this is the best way to go about doing our operations. So whether it was word of mouth, or more recently, if you look um, to a time frame of around the 1800s, where we had uh, what we called field service regulations, uh, that was some of what I would consider the earliest forms of written doctrine. And then over time, as you, as you transitioned into the 1900s, 1940s, um, the U.S. Army, in this case, had, had already established uh, what are known as field manuals, and those field manuals um, have developed and evolved to what we know as our various uh, doctrines that we have across the service, um, whether it's service-level doctrine or whether it's joint doctrine or even if it's some of the uh, coalition-style doctrine that you see with, like, NATO Stanegs, for example. So who is it that is creating, or how is doctrine created? Well, as far as who is creating doctrine, it's um, doctrine is created at various levels. So, um, all of this, all of the branches of our military service create service level doctrine. So, I'll, I'll focus specifically here on the Air Force. So, in the Air Force, um, here at the LeMay Center in our Air Force Doctrine Development Directorate, um, we primarily focus on developing operational level Air Force service doctrine. Uh, all of those documents are called Air Force Doctrine Publications. And we have a library of, of approximately 30 or so doctrine publications uh, that touch on various topics um, that, that airmen can use. Now, our role in that capacity as uh, Air Force Doctrine Development here at the LeMay Center is to, to help manage, maintain, um, and ensure that our service doctrine is current, relevant, and um, in line with what we do as a service. Um, 
But we also want to ensure that that doctrine complements and is supportive to joint doctrine. Uh, we also want to ensure that it's, it's complementary to our tactical level doctrine. And then also, as I mentioned earlier, the, our coalition or, you know, for example, uh, NATO style doctrine. And um, so on the Air Force service side of the house, our Air Force doctrine development team, um, we serve as the Air Force's um, representative to the joint community on, on all things related to doctrine. And how is it that you do that, sir? Who do you get your marching orders from? How do you get input from the field? So a lot of the ins and outs of how we do our business is, is codified and laid out in Air Force policy and Air Force instructions. We really lean heavily on subject matter experts across the Air Force to help develop the doctrine that we have, the operational level doctrine that we have on hand. So, you know, the 30 or so publications I mentioned earlier. Um, for example, you know, um, the legal support Air Force doctrine publication we have a very small team of members that makes up our Air Force Doctrine Development team here at Maxwell. Um, we have Lieutenant Colonel Rowe that's part of that team, but all of this work of building the Air Force Doctrine publication for legal support doesn't sit on his shoulders. You know, he's not the end-all be-all. We, we will open that up and we will coordinate with subject matter experts in the legal career field, for example, in this case, to do the coordination, provide inputs, um, and make those updates through a, a, a coordination process. You know, we do a staff summary sheet. We send it out across the Air Force. So it's not only, in this case, even the legal community that's looking at it. We have um, key agencies across the Air Force and organizations that are looking at this, all providing inputs that go into um, a comment resolution matrix. You know, so a lot of this is staffing that, that some of you may be familiar with on how we go about updating Air Force instructions, Air Force policy directives, Air Force uh, publications. Uh, very similar process. We get all those inputs, but it is our doctrine team here at LeMay Center and at Maxwell um, that will consolidate those inputs, help bring everything together, and put together those drafts of the publications that ultimately get reviewed out by the field and approved. Um, and once they're ready for that final approval, they will then be uh, presented to the LeMay Center commander, uh, in this case it's now Major General Holt, who will um, do a final review, approve it, and uh, you know, uh, clear us to publish it on our website. Sir, it sounds like it's some pretty high-level stuff. What can you say to our listeners, our lower-ranking officers and enlisted airmen, about why they should care? Why is it important to them? Well, it's important because, as I said earlier, it, it provides that starting point for our airmen to understand what we do as a service. Um, and I'm just talking Air Force level doctrine here. I'm not, you know, I'm not even touching on the other aspects of doctrine, whether it's joint or uh, even even multi-service, um, where we have a couple of different services that work together to develop multi-service tactics, techniques, and procedures. Um, but it's important for our airmen at the lowest levels because through that basic understanding, they will now um, be able to see those common terms and the definitions of those common terms that the Air Force uses. Um, our airmen will, uh, through their reading and understanding of doctrine, be able to have a better understanding of how they and their respective career fields can better support an air component commander who's uh, you know, working at the operational level of war 
um, at an air operations center, for example. So as a legal expert, um, you know, it's important that you understand doctrine from an air component standpoint because uh, as legal experts, you may find yourself sitting uh, or, or being assigned to an air operations center providing that expertise on uh, the laws of war, laws of armed conflict, and providing that uh, that expertise and that um, that guidance to senior level commanders on on things they need to consider when we're conducting operations. And a lot of that stuff is uh, is oftentimes captured in doctrine and can be used as a as a point of reference. So with doctrine, you should be getting what we like to say is, is, is you're getting an 80 to 90% solution on how to go about doing business. Um, because again, as I said earlier, these are extent best practices. It's things that we've learned over time across operations and exercises and throughout history. So um, in theory, doctrine provides a fantastic starting point to, to go about doing business. And then you can deviate from there based off of the unique situations that are presented in, in whatever the operation or the scenario is that you're, that you're working through. Um, what we find a lot of times is that um, our airmen, when they first come into the service, uh, when they're young airmen, young lieutenants, young captains, for example, they're, they're very focused on their day-to-day -day job at hand and the, uh, at the tactical level. And that's great. That's what they should be doing. Uh, but there's, there's an aspect of doctrine that they should be understanding as well. And uh, sometimes that, you know, because of the day-to-day -day grind and doing the mission every day and getting after the job, that gets put off to the side. Um, and oftentimes it isn't until we see our, our airmen make it to the more senior NCO ranks or senior NCO ranks and our officers get up to the field grade officer level ranks before they really have a, a chance to, to start looking more into doctrine and understanding it more and developing that knowledge and mindset. So we're trying to work on shifting that culture a little bit uh, across our service. So right now it's kind of like they're thinking about how I do my job. I just need to learn how to do my job, but not so much why we do our job the way we do our job. Right. So how, for those airmen who do want to get more involved with the creation implementation of doctrine, how can they do that? Is that through the staffing process that you talked about, or are there other ways they can get involved? It is. A, a big part of it is through the staffing process, but there are other ways as well. So on the staffing process side of the house, um, oftentimes when we send out a coordination request for uh, any given doctrine publication, it'll go out to, you know, it'll go out to headquarters Air Force and all the respective staff agencies within headquarters Air Force. It'll also go out to um, the MAGCOMs for their review and inputs as well. And, the, and ideally, the MAGCOMs will um, push those coordination requests down um, for doctrine updates and reviews to their respective wings um, and, and then down through their staff. So um, I would offer up to anyone listening that's at a MAGCOM or, or wing level in this case, when they get those requests for inputs for a doctrine update, that they, that they make sure that they do provide that out to their lower subordinate units as well to give them opportunities to provide input because it, the more input and expertise that we get um, with, with these uh, updates that we're making to our doctrine, the better it's going to be because this is for our airmen. And so um, 
regardless of where you are, you can be the youngest airman working the flight line or in the legal office. Um, you know, there, there should be opportunity there for you to provide input through your chain of command. Now, separately from that, there's also a way that you can go direct to the, um, the Air Force Doctrine team here at LeMay Center, and you can just you can send an email directly to our organizational box and uh, provide an input or ask questions about a specific doctrine publication or doctrine item that we'll gladly um, work with you on and answer any questions or concerns that the individual may have. So how many, I mean, how much doctrine is out there? How often are you editing it? So as I said earlier, our main focus here at the LeMay Center is operational level doctrine. So we have the 30-ish publications that we um, that we maintain and that we're responsible for ensuring currency of. Typically, we try to update doctrine on a uh, approximately a two-year uh, refresh rate cycle. Uh, that doesn't always happen, um, but most of the time it does, and that is our that is our goal to push forward with and uh, get um, the most timely and up-to-date information out to to our airmen and service members. Now, all that being said, even though the service level doctrine is our main focus, or one of our main focuses, I should say, or, or lines of effort, um, as I said earlier, we also tie into um, serving as the Air Force's lead for, for uh, doctrine matters when it comes to the joint community. Um, and so there are several publications in the, uh, the joint doctrine library that the Air Force has heavy involvement with. And oftentimes we even serve as the, um, as the lead on getting a joint doctrine publication updated as well. And the same applies for certain NATO doctrine. There's some NATO doctrine where the, uh, where the United States uh, overall is uh, responsible for certain NATO doctrine publications. And there's some within that, under that subset that the Air Force is responsible for. Is this all open source information that the public can access? So the vast majority of it is with regards to our Air Force operational doctrine. Um, in fact, all of our Air Force operational level doctrine is open source. Um, so if you go to www.doctrine.af.mil and go to our Air Force Doctrine website, all of those doctrine publications are openly available to the public. However, um, when you start going into researching joint doctrine publications, some of those are, are more controlled access. You do start getting into some that are classified, and the, and the same can be said for some of our um, multi-service tactics, techniques, and procedure publications, or our Air Force tactical level publications. Thank you, sir. That's all very interesting. I want to shift gears now and talk about something um, that we discussed in a prior conversation. ACE. And I'm not even going to try to describe it. So could you please tell our listeners, uh, what is ACE? Sure. So, so what ACE is ACE, first off, ACE stands for, um, agile combat employment. And there's a lot of different pieces here to, to ACE that, that can be talked about, but, but fundamentally what ACE is, is it's a, a proactive and reactive operational schema maneuver, um, that increases our survivability um, while at the same time generating combat power against an adversary. So we're in this environment right now where there's heavy focus and emphasis on great power competition. 
um, and, and near peer peer adversaries. And that changes the dynamic of how we as a service need to potentially operate in the future in, in those types of environments. So what ACE does is it, it helps us to prepare um, and train our forces in a way so that they can adequately operate um, in remote, austere environments, in, in situations where we may not have all of the, the things that we've been used to having uh, in deployed locations over the last couple of decades as we've been doing the uh, global war on terrorism and, and, and the operations since then. Um, so this is, this is a shift in mindset, and, and ACE um, sets that foundation and provides that framework for our airmen to now all start working towards. We're figuring it out still as a service, but the good news is that um, what we have seen is that across the service, all of our wings out there and our MAGCOMs and our staffs are moving out and trying to figure this out. Um, and, and so what do I mean by that? What I mean is, is uh, especially when you look at the wing level, for example, they're constantly running different exercises that look at the different aspects of doing agile combat employment, um, exercising the notion of multi-capable airmen. So now airmen who, you know, may have traditionally been a, a maintainer or a security forces airman or a, a, a calm airman. Now, you know, as a, under the guise of, of a multi-capable airman, they're going to potentially be turned to in some of these environments to do more than just that. You know, you may have a security forces airman who now has to also understand and know some basics on um, putting weapons on an aircraft or, or doing some basic maintenance kind of things. Um, or you may have a uh, maintainer who now needs to understand how to provide security around the perimeter. Um, those are all the, those are all the different things that we're looking at. How do you posture your forces across theater? What do you need to have pre-positioned uh, across the theater so that we can ensure that um, in the face of a high-intensity conflict that we can still generate the air power, in this case, that we need to to support the air component commander and the joint force commander in, in a given operation is what ACE is really about. Well, that sounds very crucial to what we do as, as the military and the Air Force, sir. Um, what else do you think our folks need to know? Anything else about Doctrine 101 that you think is important? Take some time to read it um, and, and learn about it. You know, I talked earlier about how we're trying to shift the culture and the mindset of, of our airmen, starting from day one when they, you know, when they, when they get commissioned or when they make it through basic training. Uh, we want to have Doctrine be part of their... Um, portfolio, if you will, of things that they have a general understanding of, reference, start start looking at and consuming at an, at an early age in their Air Force careers. So what I would offer up is, is um, some things that we've already done, for example, is, uh, you know, if you take a look at AFDP-1, which is Air Force's foundational basic doctrine, um, that is a document that just a couple of years ago was over 200 pages in length. Um, when General Brown came into office as Chief of Staff of the Air Force, uh, he wanted to make a huge change and shift to that. He wanted something that our airmen were going to actually pick up and read. And so we worked together with his staff, and we developed AFDP-1. 
the new version of AFDP-1 and what that is now, instead of 200 pages, it is now um, drawn down to 16, um, 16 pages of core information that we want our airmen to know all ranks across the board. So something very easy that they can pick up and read in one sitting um, and have a, a good understanding of, of our business as airmen, why we do it, what we're doing, um, and, uh, and what their role is in, in supporting how we do our business as a service. And um, so that's one thing I would offer up. I would also offer up, we, we just talked about ACE. And, um, you know, if, if airmen want to have a, an eye towards what we're, where we're going in the future as a service, um, I, I would recommend they pick up a copy of and look at the uh, Agile Combat Employment Doctrine note that's just been pushed out. Um, this is a doctrine note that was originally signed and posted late, late last year. Um, but we just provided an update to that doctrine note and published it about a month ago now. Um, again, the ACE doctrine note is another short read. Um, I think it's around 20 pages, but it gives airmen um, some insight and it helps them to understand where we're going as a, as a uh, service with regards to agile combat employment. Talks about multi-capable airmen, talks about mission command, Talks about the things that we need to do to um, to fight and win um, in a uh, contested environment against a uh, a near peer peer threat. Is there a way that they can get a, a printed version of that? Yeah. So AFDP one uh, we did just about a year ago change the format of it to condense it down to a uh, easy to carry pocketbook size. Um, and so what we've done is, is if you go to, the, to our Doctrine website uh, and you click on AFDP-1, you'll actually have the option uh, on that screen to open up and download the pocket book version of AFDP-1. And then at that point, at your respective unit, um, you can download and, and have the document sent off to a printing company in your respective locations and, and have them mass produced. So this is, this is a big win for our airmen. Uh, a lot of airmen out there already have a copy of this. We've uh, had it in our Air University booth at AFA most recently. And uh, it's, it's just something that uh, our airmen can, can have on hand at all times. Uh, it, it's in the same size as our, uh, as our Air Force Blue Book or Little Brown Book that, that we all uh, are very familiar with. And it just puts that doctrine in their hands so that they can uh, reference it and look at it whenever they need to. Um, so that's one way they can immediately have that access. Uh, another product that we've, that the Doctrine team has just recently put out too that I think is um, going to be a big success and it's already starting to get some rave reviews is we've put out an Air Force Doctrine smart book. And what this is, is, you know, I mentioned the 30 or so publications we have for Doctrine and some of those publications are pretty lengthy. So we, we may have airmen out there that are like, oh, I don't have time to read 100 pages of Doctrine. Well, what this Doctrine Smart Book does is it takes our entire catalog of the 30 or so Doctrine publications and uh, it gives a one to two page summary synopsis. Think of it as a Cliff Notes version of what's in that Doctrine publication. And so an airman can look at that, see what they need to see, and then decide from there, okay, I want to dig deeper. And then they can actually go from there into the uh, main Doctrine publication itself to learn more about it. 
that sounds like a really great resource. Thank you, sir, for sharing that. Before we turn it over to the legal aspects of doctrine, is there anything else that you wanted to share? I would just say again, um, take the time to visit the Air Force Doctrine website, doctrine.af.mil. The cool thing about it is you'll have uh, the vast preponderance of not only not only uh, our Air Force Doctrine, but also our sister service and joint doctrine is all right there, co-located on that website uh, with links to those respective doctrine publications as well across our um, various military branches. And so it's not only a great resource for Air Force Doctrine, but it can also get you to our uh, sister service and joint doctrine as well. Um, So it's a a great one-stop shop to get access to all of that. Sir, thank you so much for the resources and your overview of doctrine. For now, we'll switch it over to Major Smith and Lieutenant Colonel Rowe. But of course, if there's any point you want to chime in, feel free to do so. Sure. Thank you. Lieutenant Colonel Rowe, thank you so much, sir, for hanging out with us, not only for Colonel Major's interview, but also just answering questions about how doctrine applies to us as JAGs. Thank you, Victoria. One of the things I wanted to start with, you mentioned during your introduction that you are the staff judge advocate for the LeMay Center. Will you talk to the people who may not be familiar with the JAG Corps? What is a staff judge advocate? It's the leader, uh, similar to a squadron commander for the rest of our Air Force. The staff judge advocate is the leader, typically, of a legal office uh, for an installation. That's the most common. But, of course, we have a lot of uh, other organizations and other structures that need legal advice. And I think the higher the rank of your organization, the more likely it is to have a uh, staff judge advocate. And so I am the staff judge advocate, um, but it's just me at the LeMay Center. Uh, And there may be some history in how my position came to be, but right now I advise uh, Major General Holt, who's the commander of the LeMay Center, and he's also dual-hatted as the vice commander to Air University, uh, headquartered here at Maxwell. So, sir, with the LeMay Center being the center for doctrine development in the Air Force, will you talk a little bit about why the LeMay Center needs a lawyer and why it's important for the LeMay Center to, to have an, a staff judge advocate? Yeah, sure. Um, so I do a lot of things that a lot of other JAGs do, including ethics and a little bit of, um, advice on disciplinary actions. Uh, I sit, where I sit is kind of informative. Um, the LeMay Center has, um, a number of structures or, and buildings where, uh, LeMay Center people work, not just here at Maxwell. But I sit in the Doctrine Development uh, Directorate, and that's because I have an opportunity to review doctrine publications as they uh, come through. Uh, Colonel Major mentioned so there's a two-year review process uh, to update most of our publications around that two-year cycle. And I am able to attend meetings and uh, see the progress on the various doctrine publications and provide input, particularly when it comes to uh, joint and targeting um, publications. Those are ones where a JAG has input. Now, all of our publications actually go through what's called a statutory regulatory review. And that is provided by 
half JAO headed right now by Brigadier General Tomatz. Um, but that's a required review, and I may be getting ahead of, of the discussion here. But all our publications get that review from JAO. And then occasionally, as uh, JAO provides inputs, my doctrine uh, personnel want to discuss that with uh, an accessible down-the-hall JAG. So th those are opportunities for me to engage apart from the normal day-to-day -day, um, typical responsibilities that a JAG has in advising a two-star in an organization. I didn't mention, mention this, but our organization is about 240-ish, uh, 250 uh, personnel, um, a little over half of those being civilian, the rest military. Um, it's got an intel-heavy uh, presence in the, those personnel, but those are some of the responsibilities that I have. One of the things I'd like to follow up with you on, sir, so you mentioned during your introduction that your last assignment, you were a statute advocate for a deployed location. Will you talk a little bit about how that experience in a deployed location informed your responsibilities in your job now? Yeah, thank you. Uh, I served at All You Deed uh, for two years. It's really uncommon, and, and right now you can't, uh, that position is not accompanied, so it wouldn't be two years. Uh, but it really did prepare me. At All You Deed, it's a, a large installation with lots of tenant units with various missions, uh, including some that are over the horizon. Uh, it prepared me because it has the Combined Air Operations Center there, and I had a front row seat to all the missions of the tenant units supporting uh, OIR, supporting all the missions really in CENTCOM. Uh, I was able to see the uh, structure of our um, Air Mobility Command aircrafts, of course, when they come in, and how our support agreements um, feed the structure that enables us to employ air power. I think it is ideal, on my view, to come from there and then to be immersed in doctrine. Frankly, as a JAG Corps, we don't educate ourselves well in general on doctrine. Many JAGs, perhaps listening to this, haven't read AFDP-1, as Colonel Major was um, mentioning. It's really valuable. Uh, doctrine is about who we are uh, to employ air power. And in CENTCOM, and especially at All You Deed, you can see how the Air Force is employing air power. Every day there's uh, sorties launched from Haiti'd loaded with munitions, and they come back sometimes without those munitions. So we are employing air power. It's just kind of, to use the cliche, tip of the spirit, um, that experience kind of prepared me uh, to appreciate the role that doctrine plays. If there's a Jack out there who's listening right now and maybe they're wanting to find out more about Doctrine, in addition to reading AFDP-1, is there any other d publications, Doctrine, that you recommend they kind of start with to kind of just figure out what is this and what's my role? Yeah, thank you. Um, AFDP-1 is the perfect start. And then there's some great videos, short videos, on doctrine.af.mil that help us understand uh, the main publication for a JAG is called Legal Support, 
to operations, and it's 3-84. In fact, it's due for uh, an update. The current one is published in 2020, and we're working on an update to it. But that um, publication focuses on Air Force support to operations. So in the JAG Corps, a lot of times we say discipline is is job one, justice is job one, and, and it is. Uh, discipline is kind of ancillary in 3-84 because discipline is important, but the legal support uh, publication is about how JAG support the operational environment. Uh, so over at All You Deed, uh, of course we weren't doing courts martial there. It's possible, but um, so 3-84 is a great start for a JAG, and again, it focuses on uh, operational support. And Colonel Major, sir, did you have something you wanted to add? Yeah, so uh, in addition to some of the things Colonel Rowe has already touched on, um, another resource, and I, I probably should have mentioned this earlier during my segment that we have on our website, too, is, is there's another document on there that's called an Air Force Doctrine Primer. And uh, again, it's a short read, but it gives you that big picture overview of of what Air Force Doctrine is, why you should care about it, how you can use it as an airman. So I would also recommend that in addition to AFTP-1 and, and 384, like you just mentioned. Thank you, sir. So Colonel Rowe, if AFDP-384, the legal support to operations, if it's not really talking about courts, if it's not talking about discipline, what exactly does it cover? Thank you. It, it covers, among other things, uh, the support that a JAG provides that is typical, uh, mostly in an air operations center. So there is an AFI on air operations center, um, but this doctrine publication focuses on the legal support uh, to Air Force operations that are primarily done from an air operations center. So it describes the structure uh, in part of an air operations center and how a JAG will support, for example, the combat plans division, the strategy division, and the types of uh, advice or the role that it, the JAG will have input, you know, advising on the international agreements that may limit, for example, the countries from over which we're going to fly to launch an attack or the munitions that we store, those things are limited by our country-to-country -country agreements, and that's a prime reason that our JAG is in the room at that time. So that's one couple examples. Thank you, sir. So whenever people hear the word JAG, they tend to think courts, they tend to think Tom Cruise, a few good men. I want to talk to you next, sir, about operations planning and what role, if any, JAG's playing in. I know you've talked about your experience working in a deployed location. You've talked about your time currently working as a statute advocate. Will you talk a little bit more about what role JAG's play in operations planning? Yeah, thank you. So I mentioned the Combat Plans Division that is a division within the Air Operations Center. That division plans operations, of course, uh, based off the uh, air operations directive. And as they plan their operations, uh, you know, it eventually becomes an air tasking order after it goes through the ops law wheel of death that uh, many 
um, are familiar with. So the role that the JAG has is to be aware of, to track, to, to sit in the conversations as that operation is planned uh, to ensure compliance with the law of war. You know, that there's targeting considerations. Of course, we have to only target lawful, uh, valid military objectives. We, uh, there's limitations uh, imposed by the law of war that um, we need to insert ourselves into in the planning phase, and the combat plans division is the primary source for that, for deliberate targets. Colonel Major, sir, do you have something to add? Yeah, and, and I'll add on to, just from my background doing targeting, um, you know, everything Colonel Rowe is saying is absolutely right with regards to how the uh, how that legal support is there within the Air Operations Center. Um, another piece, too, he mentioned no-strike targets or restricted targets that the Combat Plans Division may be working in conjunction with their Intel Surveillance and Reconnaissance Division. Um, another piece to that, too, is looking at collateral damage estimates. You know, we, we may very well be able to strike certain targets, but we may be restricted by the types of weapons we can use on those targets. Um, it could be a, uh, a specific uh, size restriction to try to minimize the blaster fragmentation pattern um, when striking that target to minimize any uh, collateral damage, whether it's to civilian structures or to personnel that are, that are non-military. So all of those things are part of the discussion. And uh, having that legal support there in the Air Operations Center is, is really critical uh, to ensure that, uh, that we're doing things the appropriate way with regards to the laws of war. Colonel Major, I want to ask you a follow-up question based on something you just said. So you mentioned that JAGs are critical in that Air Operations Center. So my follow-up to you is this. How can JAGs be more of a value add? Is there something else that we can do to be more helpful in those situations or in those scenarios? Sure. I think a big part of it is um, becoming familiar with, with the ins and outs of what happens in an Air Operations Center, becoming familiar with what the different divisions do within the Air Operations Center to ultimately create an air tasking order and generate air power. Um, I, I know that one of the things that you all provide here at the, at the JAG School is um, one, of the, one of your ops courses in particular. Um, I've actually come here on a couple of occasions in the past and talked with the students on, um, on Air Force weapons and on collateral damage estimation and um, the collateral damage process to help to help get them smart and educate them on on some of those pieces that uh, will be good for them to have in their toolkit when they are uh, supporting operations downrange. Thank you, sir. Colonel Rowe, my next question for you. It relates specifically to rules of engagement. That's a term that we sometimes hear whenever there's discussions about military operations, combat, missions. Can you talk a little bit, a little bit about just what rules of engagement even are? Yeah, thank you. There are limitations on how we employ air power. Colonel Major a, a moment ago talked about targeting and uh, collateral damage estimates and the methodology we use uh, to limit the effects of our air power. Uh, rules of engagement are, are just that. They are how we, within the broader, and I'm making a concentric circle here with my hands, within the broader uh, law of war, rules of engagement fit within uh, the law of war and again, restrict our use. So we have um, 
policy considerations. There may be a lot of things that go into our rules of engagement. We start with standing rules of engagement, uh, and then there are specific rules of engagement for each operation we are in that further restrict our uh, employment of the use of force. You can probably predict my next question based on my prior line of questioning, but my follow-up to you is this. How did JAGS fit into that? Yeah, thank you. So we have requirements uh, to brief uh, rules of engagement um, pre-deployment. Many JAGS are familiar with those pre-deployment processing lines. Um, that's kind of a core responsibility for JAGS. Moving to the operational environment, uh, typically overseas, forward operating bases, have a similar requirement. An operation is planned and a JAG is part of the team to advise for this operation what our rules of engagement are. A big part of that, what you'll always hear in an air operations center is we maintain the right, the inherent right of self-defense. It's important that our operators uh, don't get confused because it's all about restricting uh, the use of combat power. That's what rules of engagement do. Uh, they provide those limitations so that conflicts don't escalate beyond the commander's intent. But we are careful to uh, continue to emphasize that we can, we can defend ourselves uh, from imminent uh, threats of attack. So that's a bit. One of the things that you mentioned was the operational environment. Will you talk a little bit about how doctrine is applied? How is it actually used in the operational environment? Yeah. Uh, in my experience, it's primarily done through the Air Operations Center. And that's where our strategy division um, tend to be the most familiar with, the most experienced with our doctrine. As Colonel Major mentioned earlier, in conducting an operation, doctrine is a guide. And it's the 80 to 90% solution for how we're gonna organize and employ our forces. Most of the time that is planned in an air operations center. So that's, so the strategy division and an air operations center, those are the environments where operation or doctrine is really applied in my experience. Do you have any advice for new, maybe experienced JAGs like Laura and myself who are wanting to find out more about doctrine? Yeah, um, first, um, start with reading uh, AFDP-1, and I, I know we, that's been mentioned by uh, Chief Brown a number of times, but start with doctrine.af.mil, and then um, I think it's, it's helpful uh, to get kind of a foundation that way, um, but also raise your hand to deploy um, where we have a closer experience with operational support. Um, so I also recommend reading uh, Legal Support to Operations, 3-84, uh, and then um, coming to the JAG school perhaps for the Ops Law course. Again, as I mentioned earlier, doctrine is, is really about operational support. That's where it's the most helpful. Um, so those are ways, and, and speak with your SGA and tell them you're interested in operations law. People that um, in our JAG Corps 
um, are exposed and have the opportunity to work in an air operations center or doing operational law, they try to keep doing it because they like it. Uh, so that's just my two cents there. Yes, sir. Final question that I have for you, sir. Anything else that you'd want to share about the relationship between JAGS and Doctrine? Just that um, in my career, I didn't appreciate the role that Doctrine plays. And I know I could have been more helpful to the commanders that I've advised if I was. How long did it take you to learn that lesson? My first assignment to an air operations center at uh, Global Strike um, at Barksdale, when I started to understand what an air operations center does, that's when I realized what I was missing in terms of a doctrinal foundation for how we employ our air forces. And I deployed uh, before that. So... um, that's a lo- that lesson's a long time in coming. We, sh- we should, I think, be a little more exposed as JAGs when we're first lieutenants or captains, um, staff sergeants, uh, rather than 12, 14 years into our careers. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much for your time, and thank you for participating in this podcast. Sure. Once again, we would like to thank Colonel Richard Major and Lieutenant Colonel Derek Rowe for taking time out of your busy schedules to sit down and interview with Major Quaco and myself. Major Quaco, anything else you want to share with the listeners before we leave? Yes. So at the beginning of the episode, we talked about General Brown's perspective on doctrine. And I wanted to close this out with another quote that he has towards the end of the perspective that really hit home for me. And what he said was, Airmen should read, understand, contemplate, and prepare for the full spectrum of operations from competition to armed conflict. And I love this part. He says, never forget General LeMay's words. At the very heart of warfare lies doctrine. Wow. Major Quaco, thank you so much for sharing that quote. And it really goes back to those points that Colonel Major and Lieutenant Colonel Rowe were sharing with us during that interview about the importance of doctrine for all airmen, regardless of your career field. Listeners, thank you so much for joining us today. Please like, review, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And if you have specific feedback or suggestions, please reach out to us on the website jagreporter.af.mil through the contact us function. That's all for today. This podcast is in recess. Until next time. Are you interested in joining the Air Force JAG Corps? You can learn more information at airforce.com slash JAG. That's J-A-G. You may also call us at 1-800-JAG-USAF. That's 1-800-524-8723. Or you may email us at airforcejagrecruiting at gmail.com. Nothing from this show should be construed as legal advice. Please consult an attorney for any legal issues. Nothing in this show is endorsed by the federal government, the Air Force, or any of its components. All content and opinions are those of its guest and host.